Amen. Good morning, church. Oh, so nice to be here this morning. You look beautiful, by the way, eh? Just give yourself a hand of applause just for being here on Sunday. Yeah, next week we're not going to have the luxuries of acorns and cool environments and just hang out. All right, next week we're going to be out in the open. Amen. Another hand of applause for everyone that's going to be there. Sorry, guys, that's half of the audience. Another hand of applause for everybody that's going to be out in the open. Lekker. So my name is Mario Rousseau. For those of you that haven't met me, that's my beautiful wife sitting here. Staan gerol wang, wees u bieke by die mense also. So maybe you've just seen me just hanging around on Sunday, sneaking in at the back and sitting there that nobody can see me. Um, we sometimes get used to doing the wrong things. Um, but thank God that there is grace for us. And so just what a wonderful opportunity that God has gathered us here. And this, this past couple of weeks has been so impactful, so powerful for us as a community. So I don't know if you feel like me, but everything that we've dealt with the past seven weeks has been so impactful for me. So I want to share just a small little testimony with you guys. So during my life, I made a couple of bad mistakes. And I had to pay a dear price. And one of those prices that I had to pay, I had to spend 13 years of my life in a prison cell. But while I was there, I had some amazing years of my life that's happening there. Because it was there that I met God. When I was with my back against the hall, about to die, had a beautiful encounter with God. And people in my life was never the same again. And then God did another amazing thing. He woke me and a couple of buddies up. We were about four guys. And he says, guys, you need to start to pray and to fast. So at that time, I didn't pack as well as I'm packing now. I was very skinny. And we heard that God said, you must start fasting for 40 days. And at that time, I thought I was going to die. Why would God require something like that for me? But we fasted and we prayed. And after that 40 days, God started to birth the church behind bars. A church that was never supposed to happen because we are not allowed to share the gospel in prison. We are not allowed to be witnesses in prison because we have uniforms we are not allowed to do it. We have to wait for people to come outside, the dwemenies and the reverends and the pastors and all those guys, and then they must come share the gospel with us. But God burdened us on our hearts that now I want you to go share the gospel. And so we went out and we start sharing the gospel to our mates that's sleeping next to us in our beds, to the guys in the other cells. Uh, we started getting our one guitar and started doing our worship and started having our church services in the toilet in a prison cell. That's how church services started. But it was amazing because there was so much freedom. And then we started to see how God moved beyond this little toilet where it was just four Christians 
to a church that grew over 300 men worshiping God every Sunday in a prison cell. We were so restricted by the hoardings and we started praying and fasting that God would open doors and the doors would open supernaturally. I mean physical gates and bars that were shut and we would go and do prayer hawks out in the open and when we opened our eyes, the physical doors was open. We started to see people that were deaf, people with broken legs that were, got injured during sports or came in injured into the prison, they got healed while attending the church. Isn't that amazing? All because of four guys that wasn't shy to start sharing the gospel with the other mates. And it spread like wildfire. I see some of those guys, I meet them outside today. They are pastors and evangelists and leaders and businessmen and whatever. And God started to restore their lives. But while we were there, it was also a church that was under persecution. Because these guys that came out of the gangs and gave their hearts to the Lord were beaten up when they go back to their cells. These men were raped because they became Christians. They bleed because they became Christians. They were knocked unconscious. They were spit upon. They were sweared out because they accepted the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm not talking about this is something that's happening somewhere out there, somewhere in Africa or overseas. No, I'm talking about a prison right here in Paul where the church was persecuted because of their faith. But irrespective of the persecution, the church continued to grow. The church continued to wind from inside the little toilet to the outside. And then this was one of the words that, that kept us, these promises of God, that kept us as a church, as a faith community. It was God's statements to the church, God's promises. These were the stuff that we hold on to when God spoke to the seven churches. And he says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, to the one that overcomes, I will grant to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. To him that overcomes. Our last statement for this Sunday is that we are an overcoming community. We are not a defeated community. We are not a suppressed community. We are not a community that lacks identity. We are not a community that's lost. But we are an overcoming community. The Bible says that we are more than conquerors. Then he goes on and he says to the other church, to the one who conquers and overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. We will not taste death. For the Bible says that we will have life and life abundantly. To the third church, he says, to the one who conquers and overcome, I will give some of the, the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new wine and a new name written on that stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. To the fourth church, he says, and I will give him the morning star, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit has to say to the church. 
To the fifth church, he says, And I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear. To the sixth church, he says, God says, and I will make him to the one who conquers and overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem which come down from my God out of heaven, my own new name. He that has an ear, let him hear. And to the last church he says, and I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down on my Father's throne. To the one who overcomes. Sometimes we've been knocked out in life, beaten up, that we feel we can't overcome. We can't conquer. But God says there's a promise if you press through. There's a promise if you hold on to my word. He that overcomes... I give you these promises. Isn't that powerful? These statements that God makes to us. And as a community, God made these statements. Seven statements for us as a community as well. And on the first Sunday, we said that we are a peculiar community. We are a peculiar community. Why? Because we are a chosen people. We said we are a faithful community. We are a gospel community. We are a humble community, a witnessing community, an unashamed community. I love how Paul makes the statement, I am not ashamed of this gospel because it carries the power of salvation to those that believe. I'm not ashamed. And Jesus says, if you are ashamed for me in front of people, I will be ashamed of you in front of my Father. We have to be an unashamed community. And the last statement that we are making today is that we are an overcoming community. We are not defeated. Our theme in First Peter, we said, we are in the open. Remember, Peter writes this letter to a church that was literally in exile. A church in bondage, a church under persecution, a church that was struggling and suffering. And he writes this letter to them and he says, you are an overcoming community. I don't know about us, but God has his word. This might be the most encouraging message you did not want to hear today. The Christian life is hot. It's not easy. Ask me. I've been swayed at. I've been ridiculed. I've been called names. I've been doubted. This is not easy. But Jesus said it's not even too difficult that you cannot bear it because I've made a way for you. In fact, following Jesus sometimes intensifies. You think your life is easy and then you accept the Lord and then you get all sorts of troubles. 
And I've had some friends that ask me, but why is it coming even more difficult and difficult? The more I'm going deeper and deeper into knowing Christ, the difficulty of my life becomes. It's not easy. The last verses are about not just simply how to survive in a hostile and cruel environment, in a chaotic world, but how to thrive as a Christian. How to overcome you know, it seems like everybody today, you know, I don't know about you, but there was a season in our lives as a family that we would watch this survival shows, right? Naked and afraid. Hmm? Right? Yeah, some people are shy to say that they're watching Naked and Afraid. Church, it's not that bad, right? It's basically about two people that they strip off everything, they put them in the bush, Give them a knife, a fire starter, uh, whatever, and they have to survive for 21 days. So when they get there, their first job is to try to make themselves some clothes so that the civilized people can watch them on TV. And then they start building a shelter. And then the last thing is getting some food and trying to survive for the next 21 days. So naked and afraid is one of them. Then there is man versus wild. Mm? Out in the wild, worst case scenario, I survived. I shouldn't be alive beyond survival. And maybe this one is my favorite. Fat guys in the hoods. Right? So this message is about how to survive, how to thrive, and how to overcome in the world that we're living in. Hostile world. I don't know about you, but personally, I'm tired of just surviving. I'm tired of just making it. Just coming above the water and just taking, and then I go out, down again. Maybe this is not you. Maybe you've never been there before. But I'm tired of just surviving. I want to be an overcomer. I want to look back in this season of my life and I want to see that I've overcome, that I've conquered. I've not just survived, but now I carry the tools and I'm empowered of how to make it. All right? Let me leave this, this, this passage, a passage in First um, Peter chapter 5. In this last verses, Peter sums up everything that this chapter is all about, everything that this book is all about. He sums it up in this last couple of verses, and it is so profound. I want to start with this last part of, of verse 5, and he says, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. He goes on and he says in verse 6, he says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that the proper time He may exalt you. Casting all your cares and your anxieties on Him, because He cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversity, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone he might devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Can we get verse 10 on the, on the screen quickly? Verse 10 says, 
and after you have suffered a little while, the God of grace who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ will Himself restore you, confirm you, strengthen you, and establish you. I'm going to read it again. And after you have suffered a little while, I still mentor some of these guys that were in prison. I still know the stories of how they suffered. But now I see them in a different level. I see them, I look at them, they are leaders. The Bible says, and after you have suffered a little while, the God of grace who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ, He will Himself restore you, confirm you, strengthen you, establish you. And verse 11 says, To Him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen? Amen. God gave the seven churches seven statements and seven promises when they overcome. God gave us as a community seven statements when we overcome. And God wants to give you seven statements for you to overcome. And the first principle of how to overcome is embrace that waiting is normal. People don't like to wait. Waiting on God is a normal part of the Christian life, if you don't know it. I've been sometimes sitting there for years, waiting on the Lord. God, when is this going to happen? When is this trial going to be over? When is the suffering going to end? I've just been sitting there and waiting on the Lord. Every word in these verse points to what to do when you are in a situation that you don't like. That God wants you to change your suffering. You maybe be a victim of injustice. Something happened. You're not quite sure. You're asking God, when is this going to be all over? This is the backdrop for every one of the rest of these commands. Verse 5 says, humble yourselves before God. Don't try to get ahead of God. Wait on Him. And verse 7 says, cast all your cares upon Him. So it's not just a waiting in agony. It's not just a waiting without hope. It's not just a waiting and doing nothing. But in your waiting, he says, and cast all your cares upon him. If you knew help was around the corner, you would just hold on a little while. You would not be waiting on God because you know someone's going to come through for you. Jesus says, when it's going to be a long day, let me carry the load and I will take it. Verse 6 says, in the proper time, that is not your time, but God's timing. He will exalt you. When He decides the time is right, His purpose has been accomplished, He will restore you, He will establish you, He will confirm you, He will strengthen you, and He will support you. And after you have suffered for a little while, He will restore you, He will establish you. God will do this for you. He says to David, because you have been faithful unto me, I will do this for you. You might be asking, how long is a little while? Well, I don't know. I don't know. 
Sometimes my wiles was for years. And that's the point of waiting. We don't know. We don't know when the Son of Man is going to appear. So I say it again, waiting on God is part of the normal Christian life. Can I just be honest with you for a moment? I don't like waiting. I don't like waiting. Waiting is sometimes painful. Sometimes hot. You want answers now. You want provision now. You want breakthrough now. You want healing now. And when God says wait, you feel like a father that has this gifts in his hands that doesn't want to give it to you. I don't like waiting. But our Bible shows us is that waiting is the normal experience of God's children. When you read the prophets and the Psalms, you are struck with how much their lives is spent in the posture of waiting. The prophet Jeremiah spent so many years unjustly in prison and in a dungeon that he wrote a whole book called Lamentations, where he cries out, God, why? How long? Where are you? Throughout the Psalms, King David says it like this. He says, I'm in a pit. My enemies overwhelms me. My friends have betrayed me. Darkness is my only friend. Why do you feel so far away from me? And all God says to David, just wait. Before God performed the exodus, Israel waited for 400 years in slavery. That is about 10 generations. And this wasn't because God was punishing them. No. They were crying out, God, where were you? And if we read the prophets, there were another 400 years of waiting between when God spoke last to the prophets and when Jesus came, there were another 400 years of just waiting. The prophets call it the darkest hour that they've experienced because they couldn't hear God's voice. We get frustrated because it's stage four load shedding and they put off the, 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 the lights for four hours. Your God switched off the lights for 400 years and he asked his church to wait upon him. Other Bible heroes like Joseph sat in a prison for years waiting on God or Job who waited for years before God restored his fortunes unto him. And here in 1 Peter, Peter expects us to wait as well. Here's something you don't want to hear, but that you really need to hear. Waiting on God is normal. Right? That's me saying, welcome to my world. The prophet Jeremiah said it this way. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Lamentations 3 verse 6. So you say, why? I don't have the answers to your why. I don't know why. But all I know is that it is good for one that is waiting for the salvation of the Lord. This is a verse that God has been using in my life recently. It is good for me to sit quietly and wait for God's salvation in a posture of helplessness. Andrew Mully called waiting the most essential part of the Christian life. The highest expression of your salvation. The only expression of true Christianity. And here's the good news. Just like here in 1 Peter, God promises good things to those that wait. He promised the seven churches good things to those that overcome. Jeremiah says, the Lord is good to those that wait on Him. And again, his eyes says, blessed are those that wait on the Lord. Peter says, God, I will exalt. 
God will exalt, restore, establish, strengthen, and support you. No one who ever waited on God, God disappointed. God has been faithful to everyone. If we read the books, if we hear testimonies, and I mean after this week, after today, we're going to hear some testimonies about people that's been waiting on God, and God came through for them. He is the same God yesterday, today, and forever. What He did to the prophets, He's still doing today. Amen? Maybe you have a kid, and you want them to come back to the Lord. You pray and you pray that the Father will reunite them. Maybe you have a husband, a wife, family members. You want them to experience what you're experiencing in your relationship with God. Maybe you just want them to have the experience of the prodigal son when they came back. And all God says it is good that one should wait quietly on the salvation of the Lord. Maybe you are being treated unfairly at the work. Maybe you are being treated unfairly by your spouse. And all God is saying, it is good that you should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Maybe you're going through financial distress or you really need guidance and support in a situation. And all you hear God saying, it is good for one that waits quietly for the salvation of the Lord. And maybe it's just COVID, or cancer, or sickness, or disease. When, it, when is it going to end? When is this life going back to normal? It is good that one should wait quietly on the salvation of the Lord. Waiting on God is part of what we do. Joseph and Job and David all got to see God's goodness break out. In the land of the living. And Peter expects that to happen to us too. If we don't get the resolution until heaven, we should, we should wait up until then. Sometimes we think that this goodness is only going to happen in heaven. And then we pray, no, it's going to go better when we enter in heaven. I can't wait until I die and go to heaven. No, Paul is not just talking about this goodness that we will experience in heaven. He talks about this goodness that we will experience here on this earth. He talks about this breakthrough and the overcoming that we will experience while we're waiting on Him. Not just when we go one day to heaven. Church, I want to ask you a question. Can you wait? Can you wait on the Lord? I want to take one minute of my time. And I don't know about you, but I've been waiting for certain stuff to happen in my life and in my family and in the ministry. There's some stuff that I've been waiting on my life for. Is there some stuff that you've been waiting for? Okay. For those of you that raised their hands, I believe the others already got their breakthroughs. Let's take one minute. Let's take one minute and think about those things that you're waiting on God for. So while you're thinking about it, 
I want you to personalize it. And pray the simple prayer. And say, God, I choose to believe it is good that I should wait quietly during this period of my life. That I should wait upon you. Lord, it is good for me to wait quietly on the salvation of the Lord. You are good to those of us who wait for you. To those who hope in your steadfast love. And I pray, Lord, that this season of waiting will be blessed. Amen. That was not the end of the sermon, but it was the end of point one. Okay. Secondly, in order to overcome, God says, humble yourself. This is part of effective waiting. In context, it means a couple of things. Firstly, receive it. Receive it means Waiting as part of God's goodness in your life and don't rage against it. Receive it. The second aspect is admit that you need help. Pride says that I don't need help. I can't go through this. I'll make it on my own. It's really not an addiction. It's not a crisis. I can fix my own problems. This is what pride is saying. Humility and humbleness is Family, I need help. Don't you want to stand with me in faith? Because I need help. The invitation, just to admit you need help. I love this command. It's not just like a command. It just says, be humble. It's not a request. It says, be humble. But stop pretending that you don't need help and just admit it. Church, the only way to access God's help is when you admit that you need help. God will only help you when you admit that you need help. All you need is need. In Luke 18, Jesus tells the story of the two men who went into the temple and prayed. The one was religious and professionally um, accomplished, and he has the sense of self-sufficiency that he can sort himself out. And the other one was like, Danny sitting there at the back of the church, um, silently praying and trusting and waiting on God for a breakthrough. Church, I'm telling you, Danny got more than the businessman. He walked out there and his needs were met. Pride is one of the biggest killers that we can't move where God is moving us. All you need is need. You will never get God's help if you don't have a need. Verse 7 says, and cast all your cares upon him. I love this verse. The Greek word literally says, hurl it upon him. Take your cares and your burdens, throw it, cast it upon him. I love it. Don't come and take it back. If you're like me in the past, I would take my case, take it to the cross, pray, God, please help me. Five minutes later, I'm trying to sort out how can I fix my own problems. I forgot that I just prayed, God, here, take all my case upon you. Then I'm on the phone making phone calls and I'm on 
checking how can I fix it and where can I do a little sideline hustle or a business deal or whatever, trying to fix it. Jesus says, hurl your cares, your burdens upon me. Throw it at me, drop it at me. I will carry it with no return. This doesn't mean that you don't have to do anything. There are some things that God requests us to do, but we need to hurl it upon Him. I'm not allowed to sing at home. Um, so I have to go outside in the garden when I want to sing something. But there's that old hymn that says that, What a friend we have in Jesus. All my case on Him we sing. You know that one? Mm. All our griefs and burdens we share on Him. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. If we take these burdens of life, the struggles in life, we bring it at the cross, we hurl it at His feet. He says, I'm your friend and I will carry it on your behalf. The fourth point I'm trying to make is be sober-minded. Verse 8. See the world clearly. You say, in what way, Peter? Because your adversity, the devil is prowling along like a loring lion looking for someone he might devour. There's an enemy in this world whose goal is to kill, to destroy, and to steal. He wants to destroy church. He wants to destroy us. He wants to destroy this community. He wants to destroy the work of God in your life. He wants to destroy your family and that period. That's his business. Right? C.S. Lewis, in his book, Screwtape Letters, he said that Christians make two primary mistakes regarding Satan. He says, some people give Satan too much credit. Every flat tire is caused by a demon. Any sin in their life, that is Satan. And he said, Satan got me fired. No, church, Satan didn't get you fired. You came work too late ten times in a row, and that's why you got fired. Right? There are some things that need deliverance, and there are some things that need discipline. We need to distinguish between the two. Right? So that's the one mistake that we make. And the other side, and perhaps even more problematic than those, we don't recognize him at all. And I, working with young men in trouble, hear this so much, so many times. Oh, my son just made some bad choices. He got in with the wrong friends. You don't see how Satan is at work? In some temptations you are dealing with, something your family is going through, something plaguing your church, isn't Peter telling us exactly that? That your enemy, the devil, is prowling and like a roaring lion? In the book of Job, Satan is the one that causes Job's financial issues, his family strife, he makes weather problems, health problems, some of these things you are dealing with are from Satan. And we need to see it and recognize it. Satan is described as the prince of the air, so which means he's everywhere. Friend, don't you see him roaring today? Right here in our church? Right here in our families? 
right here in our societies and our communities, plaguing. In the world, in in an average month, over 300 Christians are killed for following Jesus. Today, over 200 churches get destroyed by vandalism every week. Over 800 Christians are being beaten, tortured, and imprisoned due to their faith. In places like Iran, Iraq, Somalia, Sudan, Libya, Yemen, Eritrea, China, North Korea, Morocco, places like Malaysia. We shouldn't forget about our brothers and sisters that are being martyred. Satan is out there to destroy. And we might think, but it's not happening to us here. Now, Satan has a different plan for us altogether. Satan is out to destroy marriages. How many times we hear about couples breaking up, divorces happening. Satan is destroying families, kids ending up in addiction and drugs. Maybe our church is not going to be burned down. But maybe here's a family in our congregation that are being burned down. It's going through difficult stuff. Satan is at work. I don't want to give him credit. But Paul says, Peter says there what he exactly means today. Be sober-minded. And point five, he says, be alert. Notice, he says, Satan roars. Lions only roar when they feel like they have won. So a week ago or so, I was in the bush felt. And so the one day is some, what do you call it, wildebeester, all in front of our our house, when I woke up early in the morning, the next morning I didn't see him, but we heard in our room, in our little house, we heard these big roars of lions somewhere. So the next morning I asked the, the owner, I said, look here, we heard some lions. He said, yes, they were about four kilometers away. I said, what? It sounded like they were at our back door. That's how their roar sounded like. Sometimes we think he's far away. Lions have two modes. Either they're in stealth mode or they're in roar mode. Stealth is when they're hunting their prey. Roar is when they have their prey. Peter says we can hear them roaring in various parts of the world. If you can't hear him roaring, it's because he's in stealth mode in your life. He has you captured. He has one. Be alert. My burden is that some of you totally that unaware, you compromise with sin, give Satan a foothold in your life. Don't pray too much, no intimacy with the Lord. And you act like Satan is not there. Church, be alert. Our adversary, the enemy, is real. Verse 6 says, resist the devil. Verse 9 says, resist the devil. You may feel overwhelmed right now when Peter is saying you can overcome. Why? Not because you are stronger than him, but because Jesus defeated him on the cross. Jesus said it is finished. Revelation 20 verse 9 tells us about the final battle between Satan and Jesus. And spoiler alert, it was not a hectic battle. It was just gone in a second and it was done. And Jesus rose up as a conqueror and he defeated the enemy. Takes about a second. 
When Jesus speaks, it was all over. The point is, I can bring that confidence into this fight that I'm fighting the enemy with. You don't need to fear him, but you should also not ignore him. You have to fight him. And not with the weapons of this world, not with the weapons of the flesh, not with the weapons of your personality, your wisdom, your whole experience. That is like bringing a knife to a gunfight. The other day, my daughter, we were driving in the car. I was taking her to school. We stopped there at the Lord Charles Robert. She looks at me. She asked me, Papa, can I ask you something? I said, yes. He says, so what happens did you have when you were young? I said, where do you think about weapons? But she was going through her mind. We have different type of weapons. Not the weapons of this world. But we are spiritual weapons. You need the weapons of the Spirit. You need to be vivid in prayer. Stay close to God. Repent. Confess your sins often. Memorize the word. Keep faithfully doing the right thing. Don't just give in and go along. You need to fight. Here's one thing. Church, stay in community. Stay in community. Stay in fellowship with the brethren. There's a reason why Paul says to not neglect the gathering of the saints. Because when you are apart, it's so much easier for the lions to get hold of you. I remember hearing a story about the famous Maasai warriors in Kenya. And they were walking around with their sheep. And as they were looking, they were seeing some grass was standing still so that they knew that here's something that's not right in the grass. And so there was a lion. So what did they do when they noticed there was a lion? You just don't run up to a lion. So they started making a lot of noise, these warriors, trying to protect their sheep and chasing the lion away. And so one of these warriors, he takes off his shirt, he shows the missionaries, look at all the scars of the lion. But he says, when the lion fell upon me, my brethren fell upon the lion. I survived, but the lion was killed. When we stay in community, we're not saying that you're not going to get hurt. That you're not going to get bruised up. But we're saying when the enemy comes, we're so much stronger together to defeat the enemy. I struggled with, sorry Pastor Pierre, with having church on Zoom. Because it just didn't feel to me I connect. Right? But the moment they said, hey, the doors are open, I was here the first Sunday. I can't have community on a podcast. I can't switch on the radio or the TV channel and say, but I was in church this morning. I need to see this. I need to feel this. I need to feel that I'm connected to the body of Christ. And the last point I'm trying to make church, to be an overcomer, embrace the grace of God. I love this verse. He says that the God of all grace who called you to His eternal glory in Christ will Himself restore, establish, and strengthen you. He will support you after you have suffered a little while. The God of all grace. What a great way to end on. Chances are that you haven't waited perfectly. You haven't fully maybe humbled yourself. You haven't trusted God enough. You haven't been sober and awake and alert. You haven't resisted Satan. But the good news is, but Jesus 
did all those things on your behalf. He says that when I'm weak, he is strong. When I feel defeated, he's the overcomer. Jesus did all those things in the greatest hour of temptation and trial ever occur on the earth. In the garden of Gethsemane, the disciples slept. Jesus had to wake them up three times and still he went and died for them. What do you think about us? When you sleep and when you mess up, he still got you. At any point, no matter how bad you've messed up, ask me. I felt like Paul when he was saying, I'm the chief of sinners. Yet God saved me. You can turn away and say, I need you. I've messed up. I'm ready to do it your way. The God of all races, grace is ready to receive you. Living for God is hard. Not living for God is even harder. He's got dominion. He overcame the world. You either belong fully to Him or you belong to the world. To who do you belong to? Church. God stands with arms wide open. I want to end of the last scripture in Revelation chapter 12 verse 11. And here he's saying that and you overcame by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of your testimony. There is power in the blood of Jesus Christ. There is power in the blood of Jesus Christ. You might be feeling defeated today as you came in this morning. The past. You might have been knocked down in life. There has been some deals that fell through the mat. You have been struggling with sickness, diseases. You have been struggling in your marriage. I'm telling you, there is nothing that the blood of Jesus cannot do. The blood has the power to conquer. If the blood was able to conquer Satan on the cross of Calvary, I can't tell you what the blood is able to do for you right here today in this church. The blood is able to take you from a place where you feel defeated to a place where you feel I'm more than an overcomer. I'm more than a conqueror. I'm the head and not the tail. The blood speaks on all of us. Be off today. And when we receive the blood and the salvation of God and the currency that God uses, this blood to buy you from a place of darkness into a place of hope and light, After this, you're going to walk out next week, out in the open, and you're going to have a testimony. And Jesus says, and they overcame because of the blood of the Lamb and the word of the testimony. And I can't tell you that every time I share my testimony, there's a something in me that I feel stronger. I feel more than a conqueror. I don't feel ashamed. You know, at first when I started sharing my testimony, it was like this. My pants were standing still, but my legs were shaking. But every time I do it over and over and over again, and I tell the people, but this is what the blood has done for me. This is what the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross has done for me. This is the boldness that rises inside of me. 
Peter might talk about this lion that prowls and looks for someone that he wants to devour. But I'm telling you, when the lion of Judah rises up inside of you and he starts roaring to the enemy, that little lion will run. There's something that the blood wants to do for you. I don't know where you are in your life at this moment, but I'm telling you, I've been at pretty bad places. I'm standing here today because I feel I can overcome it. And the message today is that we overcome together. Not as individuals, but as a body and a family and a community that we stick together and we have one another's back and we intercede and we pray for one another. We overcome together. Is there areas in your life that you are feeling defeated today? I want to give one opportunity for us as a church to respond. I really don't know where you are at in your life. But I want to give this one opportunity. And usually what we do, we would like to ask people to stand up and we will pray for them there. But I want you to come forward if you need prayer. Because sometimes we get stuck in our comfort zone of where we've been defeated and we just sit there. And, and this is a declaration that I choose to come out of a place of defeat to a place where I feel that I'm an overcomer. And I'm not just going to do this alone, but I'm doing this with family. Let's stand together. As you close your eyes, church, if God has been speaking to you today, please come to the front. We want to pray with you as a family. Now, this is one thing that God says and that God has taught to me. God is a true gentleman. He does not beg us for anything. Because if He begs us to come to the Lord, He has to beg us to stay with Him. But our God is so gracious. He says, I want to empower you, equip you. I want to restore you and I want to strengthen you today this is the day of salvation